This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. At your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. And that's what Denzel Washington ostensibly said to Will Smith after the incident at the Oscars. And it's a very true statement from a spiritual perspective, a true statement that when you're right at the point of walking through bigger and better doors, You're heading to the pinnacle of success. That's when the enemy comes to disrupt the blessing. In case you haven't been paying attention to the news and may not know what this is all about, today we're really going to focus on some workplace lessons that we can learn from the incident that happened at the Academy Awards, the Oscars. And in this incident, Will Smith became very upset at a joke that Chris Rock told that involved Will Smith's wife. And so in response to that, Will Smith runs up on the stage and slaps Chris Rock in a very hard way. And of course, that's been in all the news media, all the papers, everything else, and people trying to figure out who's right, who's wrong, what's this all about, what should happen. And what I want to do is I want to talk today about that incident, because in the workplace, there are conflicts, there are altercations between people, incidents, and there's something that we can learn from the situation and principles to take away about how to respond when something like this comes up. And I want to just remind you that this whole notion of being right at the pinnacle of success, it's also been modeled by Jesus Christ himself. Just before he went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and he went in there for 40 days and 40 nights fasting without food and without drink. Prior to that, he had come to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist baptized him because the Jewish believers at the time were coming to John the Baptist to be baptized. It was a baptism of repentance. And so to fulfill all of the law, Jesus presented himself for this as well. And at that time when the baptism occurred, and John the Baptist had been waiting for the Messiah to come because he had been telling the people, there's someone coming and the spirit is going to descend on this person. So during that baptism, the heavens opened up, the spirit of God descended like a dove, landed on Jesus, and a voice from heaven came and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So when you think about this, this is a spiritual high, a spiritual pinnacle moment. So with the spirit of God resting on him, being high in the spirit of God, he is taken by the spirit of God into the wilderness for this testing period. And while he's there during this testing period, we know that the devil, the enemy, has all kinds of temptations that he puts him through. And I want to remind us, first of all, a little bit about who is 
the enemy? Who is the devil? And then we'll unpack these temptations a little bit. One of my favorite verses and the one that's my verse for the year is John 10, 10, which talks about how that Jesus Christ came that we might have life and more abundantly. Well, the beginning part of that verse actually says that the devil has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. And Jesus says, but I have come that you might have life and more abundantly. So we know the devil's mission is to steal, kill, and destroy that which God has planned to give us in abundance. So we have to understand that about him. Also, 1 Peter 5, 8 talks about the devil in this way. He refers to the devil as the adversary and how that he is like a roaring lion that's walking around seeking whom he may devour. So if you think about that, that's a pretty profound picture of a lion's after you trying to devour you, trying to eat you up. That's pretty oppressive. And the instruction that's given to us is to resist him. And that's an important thing to keep in mind is that we are to resist the devil. So let's look at what Jesus did to resist the devil. In the three temptations that he had, one was to take stones and turn them into bread to eat food, to meet his own needs, but in a way that God the Father had not ordained for that moment. And so one of the things Jesus says back to the devil is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the Father's mouth. So he gave him that answer. Second temptation was to throw himself down off the pinnacle of the temple and knowing that you know God would send angels to, to bear him up. And Jesus says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So that was not an appropriate thing either. Then the third temptation was he takes him up to the high mountains, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, I'll give you all of these kingdoms. They belong to me. I can give them to whoever I want to give them to. And instead, just worship me and I'll give them to you. And of course, you know, Jesus says that the word says, worship the Lord God and him only, you know, shall you serve. So that's how he answered him back. So if we think about Jesus' strategies, number one, he didn't even attempt to deal with the enemy until the spirit of the Lord was resting upon him. So he went in the power of his father. So that's one thing. Secondly, he used the sword of the spirit, and that's our only offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, of course, Satan was quoting scriptures to him too, but he was twisting the scriptures. So you've got to know what the word really says for yourself so that when you're in this warfare, you'll be able to answer back with the truth of what God's word is. And even King David talked about how he had hidden God's word in his heart so that he would not sin against the Lord. So we have to remember, we are in the middle of spiritual warfare down here on earth and all the things that happen. And Ephesians, the sixth chapter, talks a lot about this spiritual warfare. And we have to remember the people, the people around us, the people in your workplace, they are not really the enemy. The enemy is often the devil who's behind the people who's trying to stir things up. And sometimes the enemy will even tempt you and won't so much be in the other person as the enemy is a stumbling block even to you, a person of God, to cause havoc. So even in in Jesus' case, we know that Judas, the one who was the betrayer, 
the devil got a hold of him and entered into Judas so that this evil work could be done. So the evil work, again, is done by the enemy, but it's through people. So we have to remember, as Ephesians 6 says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly places, which requires us to daily take up and put on the whole armor of God. So there's the belt of truth we need to wear, the breastplate of righteousness, having our feet covered with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts of the devil, and then also the helmet of salvation. And as we've also mentioned, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is the only offensive weapon in the armor. And then what I call the nuclear weapon or the supernatural nuclear weapon, which in Ephesians 6 also talks about, is to pray always with all kinds of prayers, because that is part of the process as well. So in the spirit, we come when we're resisting the enemy. And through the spirit, we have the power of God. And that power of God is coming through prayer. And we also are coming with the word of God. And an old saying says, no prayer, no power. You don't want to show up in front of the enemy without the power of God. Some other principles that really relate to this incident that happened at the Oscars would be the principle in Ephesians 4.26, which says, be angry and sin not. We've been given all of the emotions we have, whether it's love and or happiness, anxiety, anger, whatever. So anger in and of itself is not a wrong emotion. However, we can engage in wrong behavior when we feel that emotion. So we want to make sure that when we're angry, that we don't do wrong things, that we don't sin. And most righteous anger is really tied up in defending the things of God. It's not really about ourselves and things that we find offensive. So we discover in Matthew, the 21st chapter, Jesus is in the temple and he sees the money changers. They're cheating the people, defrauding the people. They're going against what the law of Moses has already ordained should happen in the temple and how business should be conducted. So he goes in and he drives out the money changers. He overturns tables and, and seats. And he says, my house, you're referring to the temple, which is God's temple. And he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And you've made it a den of thieves. And after he drives out people who are doing the wrong thing, it next says that he healed the blind and he healed the lame. So it wasn't just throw out. He's doing a work of ministry that's restorative for the people. So yes, be angry. Don't do the wrong thing while you're angry. And make sure your anger is about something that is God-oriented, not just because you may personally be offended. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 1 through 8, he talks about the fact that the believers, they were having arguments with each other and going to the courts of the day in front of unbelievers and suing each other. And he says, this should not be so. Don't you know that those of you who are believers, 
you're the ones who are ultimately going to be judging angels. And so if you are going to be judging angels at some point, why are you then going before those who don't know God, who don't believe? Don't you have wise men amongst you who can resolve these issues? And so he says, this is already a failure that you're taking each other to law and to the courts in front of unbelievers. He said it would be better for you to even accept the wrong that might be perpetrated against you. Let yourself even be cheated in this process rather than to take each other to court over something like this. So he's basically saying there are times when we may, in fact, not fully stand up for all of our rights to which we are entitled and to which we could, because there may be a higher principle that's more important. It may be a love principle that needs to be implemented at the time. So rather than do any of these things, seek out wise counsel. And in the case of Will Smith, fortunately, Denzel Washington was there, Tyler Perry, they were there. And after this incident occurred, and still while the Oscars were going on, they went over to Will Smith. They talked to him. They prayed with him. They were representing wise counsel at the time. A lot of times when we are about to be elevated to a higher level, we're going to higher levels in whatever God is opening up for us, whatever doors. It means that our character also must grow and must be prepared for those higher levels. And one part of that character growth is taking time for what I'm going to call self-examination. So one of the reasons and one of the purposes, if you will, for this incident in Will Smith's life might be for him to look in the mirror and say, what part of my character might need to be addressed in order for me to go forward into the open doors that God is preparing for me, the places where he's wanting to take me next. And so it's important You can point the finger at the other guy and what the other guy is doing, but the incident gives you an opportunity to say, well, what about me? Where might I be off base and need to learn something? So Matthew 7, 1 through 5 talks about the fact that we're very often focused on the speck that's in our brother's eye, when in fact, we've got a beam or huge plank in our own eye. And it says, before you can really rebuke your brother, before you can talk about the speck that's in his eye, remove the plank, remove the beam out of your own eye, it says, so that you can see clearly. And then when you're able to see clearly, then you can help your brother remove the speck out of his eye. And this was really personal for me as I thought about it, because I remembered an incident in my own life that happened many, many years ago. At the time, my maternal grandmother was still living. I was a young adult. We were at the post office together in Baltimore. And there was another woman, an older woman, older than me, who was in the post office. There's a long line at the post office. And this woman just decides to jump in front of me, which I didn't appreciate. (laughs) And so I said something to her about this jumping in front of me. And she proceeds to just spew all kinds of polemic things towards me, just an awful barrage of unpleasantries, I'll say, she said back to me. 
And so rather than to say, okay, I see that this is one of those situations and I have an opportunity to respond with love and blessing, though cursing's coming in my way. I didn't curse her or say anything untoward like that. However, my response, I would say it was, I'd characterize it as being a bit more haughty at the time and certainly not showing humility, maybe being somewhat prideful how I responded back. Now, my grandmother, mind you, she's watching the whole thing, never says a word. And my grandmother had never seen me respond to anyone in this way because I was raised in a family to respect my elders and so on. And so this was very unusual behavior. And again, like I said, I didn't curse the lady or anything like that. I just called myself fighting back you know, for my rights here. And the lady, of course, gave me another dose worse than the first dose of things that she was going to say back. And I said, you know what? I've thought about this incident many times over the years. It really wasn't worth it for me to respond in the way that I responded. It ruined my day, put me in a bad mood really for the rest of the day. And as I've thought back over it, God was showing me something about me, something about my character that needed to be addressed. Was the lady wrong? Yes. Was she saying things that weren't appropriate? Yes. Did she jump in front of me when she really shouldn't have? Yes. However, I had options and choices too, and I could have given place to her. I could have been more gracious about it. I could have voluntarily given her a place, even though she was usurping a place. So there were choices that I had along the way. And so I'm saying when these incidents come up, I can tell you all the stuff she did that was wrong. At the same time, God was showing me that my attitude wasn't right either. And he was speaking to me about myself and what I needed to work on. I often will think of this incident so as not to go off the rails and again, to remember the lessons that I learned to implement them in my current life. This one principle then is be angry and and don't sin in the process yourself. And then number two, Matthew 18 talks about going to your brother and resolving the conflict. And the instruction that's given is that you go to your brother if he does something against you and you speak to him privately. Now, of course, this incident occurred in public Yet, Will Smith could have said, now, you know what? I really don't like what Chris Rock said. And he could have noted that and said, I'm going to talk to him later. I'm going to go to him after the show, or I'm going to call him, and we're going to have a conversation about this, because I really didn't appreciate what he said about my wife. And he may not understand how hurtful that was, and I may want to share that with him. Again, private. And it says, you go to your brother, you talk to him one-on-one in private, you let him know about the offense. Then if your brother doesn't hear you, you go with one or two people as witnesses to establish everything that happens. And you are still appealing to your brother to try to resolve the situation. If those people aren't heard either, your brother doesn't reconcile with you. So then you bring it before a larger body in the context of the church is what this is referring to. Then you bring it in essence in the public assembly. So there was an opportunity to stop and say, okay, this is a problem. 
maybe this isn't the best place to handle it here. Let me handle it in a different context. Let me handle it privately. So that's, again, if you're having an altercation at work, a conflict, think about, you know, how can I resolve that between me and the person first? You know, what can I do that would sort of like calm some of the embers and flames from flaring up in a worse situation? The third principle I'll mention is in Matthew 5, starting with verse 5 and going really a long way through the chapter where Jesus is really talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, I'm not suggesting in this case that Chris Rock hated Will Smith. I doubt that that's the case. However, he said something that Will Smith took in a way of offense. So Will Smith also has an opportunity to do good in that situation, to bless rather than to curse or to pray for him rather than to curse him, rather than to slap him or to respond in a fleshly way, if you will. So all of these are just some things to think about along the way some things to think about in terms of resolving conflict. We have to take a step back. We have to look at ourselves. We have to let our anger not get the best of us. And we have to think about how can I love in this situation? How can I minister in this situation? And when is the best time to talk to someone and in what way privately rather than in public? Now, when I think about Chris Rock and what he said in that whole situation, we're in a society where it takes a whole lot more, if you will, to get the same past results. So if you think about someone who's a drug addict, maybe a little bit of that drug will get the high that you want. However, as you go further and further into it, it may take more drugs to get the result that you had in mind. Well, with humor, we've gotten to a point in society where comedians are pushing all kinds of boundaries just to try to get laughs from people. And sometimes as they're pushing those boundaries, they go too far. They may not even be intending to go too far. They don't even know that they've gone too far, however they do. And a lot of times, if the jokes others expense and about other people, that's a riskier proposition. I remember many, many years ago, a lot of times comedians were particularly funny because their humor was self-deprecating. The joke was on them rather than on other people. And in Chris Rock's case, I doubt seriously that his intention was to provoke this kind of a reaction in Will Smith. Comedians want people to laugh. They want people to think things are funny. That's the intention. That's the reaction that they really want to get. So he was probably shocked that what he thought was a joke had the impact that it had. And he still may not fully understand the extent to which Will Smith's response went. And I would say that Will Smith's response is probably in excess of the situation and the circumstances and what it probably called for. Nevertheless, we can all be offended in different ways. And so if it was offensive to him, hurtful to him and his wife, understood. And that certainly, he has the right to deal with that. And again, we want to you know, deal with it properly. So I'd say that for those who in the world of the comedian world or those who do public speaking, 
Colossians 4, 6 has something to say that I think is helpful. And, and, and I'll say this, the old saying in our culture, which says sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That is false. That's not true. Words have the power to hurt and harm people, and they do hurt and harm people every day. So Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. When I think about seasoned with salt, salt in one of its purposes is to preserve So let your speech preserve the relationship, preserve the dignity of the persons with whom you're interacting. So that's something that Chris Rock can go back and think about and say, what might I do differently the next time? How might I conduct myself so that my words are with grace, seasoned with salt, and so on along the way? So that's one way we think about it. Now, as I mentioned, it's my impression that Will Smith's reaction was kind of extreme, even for what actually did occur. So it makes me wonder, what is the backstory? Why was he provoked to this degree and was particularly touchy about what Chris Rock said? Perhaps there were some other issues going on. Maybe there are issues between him and his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith. Who knows? Maybe he had had previous conversations with Chris Rock about past humor. Who knows? So maybe it wasn't the first incident that's going on. Maybe there's some other level of stress in his life. These last couple of years have been very stressful with the pandemic world and environment that we've been living in. All of these certainly could add fuel to the fire and cause a reaction that's in excess of the circumstances and situation. Something else that can also cloud our judgment in these moments would be alcohol or other substances that we may be using. And it makes me think about Proverbs, the 30th chapter, because here the author is talking about words that his mother said to him. And his mother said, it's not for kings, O Lemuel, speaking to our son. Look, you're destined for kingship. That's who you are. It's not for kings to drink wine and then forget the law and pervert justice. Wine and strong drink is for the perishing, those who are bitter of heart. And she basically calls her son to a higher calling and says, you know, there are bigger things for you to be doing. You have to judge righteously. You have to defend the poor. So the bigger your platform, the more you're in a position where it's not just about you anymore. You have to think about the impact on other people for everything that you do. So in this Proverbs passage, we're talking about a king of Israel. However, people in industry, you are kings and captains of industry and in business. So you too have a bigger responsibility. Now, I also want to say that to his credit, Chris Rock, he had some choices to make after he was slapped. He could have chosen to fight fire with fire and to dish out a punch for the slap. Now, had that happened, this would have been a worse nightmare. Imagine a huge fisticuffs on the Oscars stage. And at a time when it would have been a disgrace for so many people, a trauma, even a greater trauma for so many people, 
because the show this year had a lot of Black talent in particular, from the producers, even to those who were the announcers, it could falsely cause people to come to a wrong conclusion about, oh, well, this has never happened before. And maybe it's happening because, you know, we have people of color running the show this year. And that's not really what's true or the case, but people might falsely conclude something like that. And then you have these two Black men on the stage killing one another potentially killing their careers metaphorically. So I'd say the old adage, two wrongs don't make a right, certainly apply in this situation. And to his credit, whether he was just completely stunned and and it just happened naturally or with any forethought, Chris Rock used his comedic talent to then respond back and say that he was just punched by Muhammad Ali. And of course, Will Smith played Muhammad Ali in one of his movie roles. He had other choices. Chris Rock was asked, do you want to press charges? As of this recording, he's still chosen not to to press uh, charges for the incident. He's taking more of a peacemaker approach at this point. And what he's also saying to people who've asked, I'm still processing this event. He said, I don't really have a whole lot to say about it now. That's wisdom too. When you're in the middle of something and when you might be triggered, that may not be the time to speak publicly about it. You might need to gather your thoughts, process the event, and come back later. So as we move forward and we consider all these angles, we've been talking about Will Smith, his options and choices. We've been talking about it from a biblical perspective. We've been talking about Chris Rock. And then thirdly, the Academy has got some decisions to make. And they've already said that they're going to look at what sanctions they're going to impose. And as of this recording, they haven't imposed those sanctions yet, even though Will Smith has stepped down from membership from the Academy and he's apologized for his behavior and acknowledges that his behavior was in appropriate. And here's what I want to say about our society. We're at a point in our society now where it's difficult for people to make mistakes and to find a pathway back from those mistakes. Frequently, what they experience, what people experience is sudden death with no pathway back, no pathway back to recover from an era. We have to keep in mind, we are all human. We all make mistakes. We all do wrong things sometimes. I shared the example of my wrong behavior in the post office at that time with my grandmother and this older woman. So we're not perfect. We're going to do the wrong thing. None of us will be right 100% of the time. So we have to have a way to apologize for our wrong behavior. We have to have a way to make amends, to be forgiven and to start all over again. So if I was consulting with the academy, whatever sanctions they believe are necessary and want to put in place, I would encourage them not to go in excess of the situation either. Sometimes we can be so extreme in whatever it is that we do or say that, again, there's no pathway back for the person And it becomes a real nightmare. So it makes me think about, again, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And in his first letter to the Corinthians, he was writing to the church because 
one of the sins that was going on is that a man was sleeping with his father's wife. And Paul said, you know, even the pagans are doing horrible stuff like this. And you guys are acting like, you know, because you're being so broad minded and like, this is a good thing. And he rebuked them for that and told them that they really needed to impose some sanctions on this man and to ban him from the assembly because of this inappropriate behavior. By the time Paul writes the second letter that we have still preserved in history back to the Corinthians, they had already imposed sanctions. And so Paul says, look, okay, you've imposed sanctions now. The message has been out there. The man has repented. He's come back to the place where he's supposed to be. So now stop. You don't need to continue you know, a punishment, if you will. Enough suffering has already happened because the intention is not to kill the person. The intention is reconciliation. The intention is to bring the person back into the main fold, back into the assembly, not to destroy the person. And so we want to think about that and keep in mind. So I pray and hope that the academy will avoid overkill and that they will create a pathway back as well. So questions for you to think about and for you to consider when you're in the middle of conflict at work and altercations at work, here are some things I want you to think about. Number one, what's the greater, higher platform to which God is calling you? In other words, you have bigger things to do. You are a marketplace ministry leader. God has you there for a reason. He may be opening up a bigger door. What is it? What is the greater calling? What is the higher platform so that you don't get lost in fighting over things that are not the main deal? Number two, how is the enemy possibly using whatever conflict, whatever altercation that you're in to steal, to kill, to destroy, and to devour you? Because you always want to remember, it's not just about what we see. It's also about what's going on behind the scenes that we may not fully see. So always be aware and ask yourself, how might the enemy be using this? to get a hold of me. Number three, as you examine yourself, ask what flaws do I need to address? What flaws may be evident in me that these incidents are bringing out? What parts of my character need to grow with the platform that is also growing that God has given me? And as you identify that, then number four, what is the growth plan? How will you resource yourself through the spirit of God so that you are ready for that bigger platform that he's calling you to? And then number five, in the circumstances, the altercations, the conflicts, asking the question, how can I choose now to bless? How can I choose to love rather than to curse in this situation? How can I reflect the love of God all to the glory of God? Because people are watching and they will know that we belong to God because of the love of God that's in us and that emanates from us. So always be asking, how can you bless? 
How can you love? Because one of the things Jesus said, you know, you've heard in the past, basically love those who love you. But he said, I'm even saying love your enemies. So take it to the next level. Take it to the highest level. Because even unbelievers can love their friends. It takes the spirit of God to love an enemy. It takes the spirit of God to love when there are tough scenarios on the line. So I want to close with this today. And this is Proverbs 25 and 11, and it applies to all parties in the situation, whether we're talking about Will Smith, Chris Rock, the Academy, or you and me. And here it is. It says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. So I pray that you will bring apples of gold and settings of silver, no matter where the table is set, even if it's in the cesspool, you are a child of the king. You can bring gold. You can bring silver. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.